lead her every day, living for messy action. This is the Lifestyle Leadership Podcast for women who want to be the best version of themselves while making an impact. And who are willing to take messy and perfect action to get there. I'm Jordan. And I'm Dr. Tay. And we are here to guide and empower you to lead yourself every day. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, y'all. We are back for another episode, and we are so excited. Today, we have our first guest on the podcast, Dr. Katherine Haber, and we're just so excited to be able to introduce you to her. Her message today was so powerful, and Jordan and I just wanted to start this off by sharing a few of the things that really resonated with us, but we cannot wait for you to listen to this episode. So Jordan, for you, what were some of like the things that really stuck out, the messages that you'll take past listening to this episode? Yeah, I think that the perspective she gave was so special to me because Dr. Haber is like ahead of me in the life stage. So she works the corporate life. She has small children at home. And though she has a very unique situation of her own adversity that she's walked through, the messages just in terms of like cherishing your moments over your materialistic things and really like prioritizing what are your values against what your actions are. And, um, just even as like balancing career and motherhood, I found it super inspiring and so many personal takeaways that I know that our audience will resonate with as well. Absolutely. And yeah, just to clarify. So she talks about how she has small children. She actually has teenage and adult age children now, but I think that's so helpful. We often talk about having young children. So if you've been listening to this podcast and you're like, you know, I'm not in the season of little ones, I think this is really going to hit home. And trust me, her story is so powerful. There were times during recording of this episode, I, and I literally talk about this at one point, I got like chills and like my eyes welled up and not in like necessarily a sad way. It is a heavy episode where she describes, you know, losing a lot of family members and her own, you know, journey with cancer as well. And we just want to give you that heads up because if you're in a heavy season right now, ask yourself, like, am I equipped to handle this? And I'm going to also tell you, she Mm. shares so many inspirational things. And that is really what gave me the chills. Messages along the lines of being willing to pivot. So often, you know, that is something that can be so scary. And her whole thing is learning to live, you know, with more love, more joy. And we talked about having more presence rather than living in fear. And we've talked about living in fear before. This is a prior episode of ours. So we really believe this is going to hit home for you. Just as a reminder, anything shared on our episodes are not clinical advice. Please talk to a qualified mental health professional if you are needing more support. All right. We are so excited because today we have our first guest on the Lead Her Everyday podcast. So Dr. Haber is here with us. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Uh, First, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me in to be your first guest. I feel very privileged. So thanks. Thanks so much. Um, My name is Catherine Haber, and I am a clinical and organizational psychologist and have been for, it's hard to say, um, actually, but it's hard to say that it's been 20 years. (laughs) It doesn't feel uh, that long, but it has has indeed been 20 plus years. Um, I am currently working for uh, Ball Aerospace in Broomfield, Colorado. I am their internal psychologist and executive coach, which means I uh, coach our president and his direct reports. I've been with the organization for uh, approximately five years, and it's been uh, terrific. I I love the work that I do. I also author uh, biweekly articles for uh, Ball Corporation. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with the ball cans. Um, Historically, we've done mason jars, and now we're doing the the recyclable um, aluminum cups. And so you might be seeing them in different venues. 
Yeah, so that's our corporation. I am with Aerospace. Um, and then the other thing that's important uh, to me that I do uh, is I am a member of the uh, board for Wings of Hope for Pancreatic Cancer Research. That's the disease that took my um, mother, father, and brother. And so um, I really enjoy doing that work to help us find a cure for that really awful disease. Yeah, it sounds near and dear to your heart, you know, but I love that you're investing yourself into trying to take a step forward, um, yeah. even though through some of your own pain. And we're going to be talking about, you know, some of your life experiences today and some of the pain you've gone through and how that shaped you. Um, I'm curious, though, before we dive into that, so the psychology world, you know, we have that in common. It's yeah. always so fun to see how people do different areas of psychology. And so I love what you're doing. And that is so, so awesome. I'm curious though, what initially got you into psychology and did your career always look like it does now where you're more in the executive coaching realm? Yeah, great question. So um, you may laugh at my response. So I did not take any undergraduate courses in psychology. Um, I was a sociology major, so akin to, to psychology, but uh, didn't take any courses for uh, my four years at Boston College. And I didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated. And my dad was uh, an attorney, a, a tax attorney. So I knew I didn't want to do tax, <laughs> but I thought, you know, maybe I would do law, maybe something in ch child advocacy. And so I applied to law school and was accepted to Boston College Law. And I remember having uh, lunch with my college roommate and I was saying, you know what, I'm just not really that enthusiastic about going to law school. I just not sure what I wanted to do. So I, I applied, but that's not really where my heart is. And she just looked me in the eye and said, I think you'd be a great psychologist. And I, I looked at her and I kind of, you know, cocked my head. And I'm like, huh? And she said, yeah, you know, you're the one that everyone would go to in, in college and you were such a good listener and, and really cared for people and just had a compassion. I, you know, and I said, well, but yeah, but most people do that, right? That's kind of a thing that people do. And she's like, she said, no, that's not always the case. And I, I really thought about it and I've come to realize that you know, oftentimes our strengths, we don't realize, right? We see, we see them in other people, but we don't necessarily see them in ourselves. And so I, I really thought about that, that, that conversation. And I decided to take a couple of classes in psychology and defer my law acceptance. And I took uh, a few courses in psych and loved it, just fell in love with it and ended up getting my uh, master's in counseling psychology. And then, um, I got my doctorate at the University of Denver in clinical psych. But to answer your question around um, trajectory, so I had always worked uh, to help put my way through school. So I found myself in business and typically in human resources. And I would see these organizational psychologists come in and kind of do their thing. And I thought, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. I wonder if I could blend my interest in clinical psychology and people and understanding of human behavior with uh, business, with organizations. And so in my last year of my doctoral program, I called up uh, a number of different firms in the Denver area and a boutique organizational psychology firm, Somerville Partners hired me on as an intern. And then I ended up working 10 years with them. And for my 20 plus career, I have been either consulting or internal working with C-suite executives and doing executive coaching, leadership development. And honestly, I, I think in some ways, uh, executive coaching is very similar to therapy in that you're there yeah. to listen and be there and support and attend to. Um, it's just, you're working with leaders. Absolutely. I love just to mention this, like how you've like forged your own path here. And I, I think that's one thing we love sharing on this podcast and with women is like, there isn't some mold 
that you have to follow. And you literally just spoke to that. Um, really funny about me real quick. I actually didn't take many psychology classes at all. I was a neuroscience major and thought I was going to go to med school before I ended up in the psychology world. And I just think it's so neat to be able to hear people's origin stories of where they come from rather than just this snapshot in time right now of, okay, you know, what an amazing job. How did you get here? And I find it personally so inspiring. Yeah. What I think is really cool about your story is that so many people think they have to have the full vision. Like you were going to go to law school and there's a lot of people that would have been like, no, no, that's what I started to do. So I need to finish it. But you did something that I think is so important to point out is that you had people around you to say, I see this in you. Sometimes we forget to ask that question and that changed your life. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a, such a great point. It's such a great point. And one, one um, thing that I would like to mention, I share this with, I, I go back to DU and speak to students there. And one thing that I've, I've counseled folks on is try not to be scared to ask, right? Mm-hmm. So the worst that can possibly happen is you get a no, but if you ask and you get a yes, think about all the doors that can potentially open. And so when I called Kevin Somerville and asked him if I could be an intern at his firm, you know, I, I had the courage to do that. And I'm so fortunate that I did because it really changed my trajectory. And uh, Kevin has been a, a lifelong mentor. And if he had said no, he, he said no. But uh, fortunately, he gave me the opportunity to learn from him and learn, learn the business of organizational psychology. And so, you know, I always encourage women, all young people to, to really don't be afraid to ask because if it's a no, it's a no, but if it's a yes, it really can be quite powerful. Love that. I love the word that's coming up for me as you're talking right now is pivot. And I think for so many of our listeners, this is so relevant that it's never too late to pivot or to change course. Um, And I know, you know, Jordan and I are, we've gone through a lot of pivots ourselves and trying to figure it out. And so I love that message too, to be willing to ask, but also not to be scared to pivot and change course. For sure. Yeah. And, and my husband will joke with me and he'll say, Oh, I wonder if this will be your next career. Oh, I wonder if that will be your next career. Cause there's just so many things that are out there that you can do yeah. with um, whatever your experiences, degrees, or, or not with degrees. It's just being creative and, and having that courage to kind of push through our natural fears and we all have them. And it's a matter of not letting us, letting them hinder us or stifle us. Yeah. And you just mentioned fear. So that's a perfect segue um, into your book. So what inspired you to write the book? The title of it is fearless love more. And I think that's a message, just like you said, that we could all take into our days with us. So tell us a little bit about where that came from and why it's important to you. Thank you. So I mentioned, uh, at the start that I lost my, uh, mom, dad, and brother to pancreatic cancer. And I also lost my sister to, uh, breast cancer. And so I started, uh, writing, I started writing just journaling, really, just to get my feelings out. I felt it was very cathartic. My dad and sister died a year apart, and my sister was only 49 years old, and she had two teenage boys, 14 and 16, Brad and Adam. Um, And so it was really such a hard, sad time. She and I were 14 years apart, and so she was like a parent figure to me. My parents divorced when I was two, and she was an elementary school teacher in her career and she really nurtured me. My mom did too, but I was the youngest of five and she, she really cared for me and we were super close. And so when she passed away, it was, it was really hard. And my dad passed a year prior to my sister, Debbie, and he and I were very, very close as well. So I started to journal and then I, thought about um, being a psychologist and having a desire to help others, I decided that I wanted to turn the journaling into a book format. Um, I should mention that uh, three years after my sister passed, I was diagnosed with lymphoma. And I had uh, three babies at that point. So twins who were seven months old, 
and a three-year-old and times were really hard. I was really scared and I had to go through chemo and radiation. And again, I was writing to just get my feelings out and to try to package up what I was going through in a way that could potentially help other people. And so it started out as more of a, a memoir. Mm -hmm. And then I did some soul searching and realized that what I truly wanted to do was, was help others. And so it became more of a self-help with a lot of memoir in there. But fortunately, I was able to also weave in stories from friends and family and clients who all gave me permission, which I was really grateful for. And so the book became more of a self-help memoir with my experiences around cancer, but also lots of other different uh, vignettes that are in the book that are around other challenges for people that um, hopefully can help others on their life journey and help them through any challenges that they're experiencing, which, you know, life is full of challenges as we all know. And so I also, in the book, there are a number of different uh, reflection exercises. So with each vignette, there's an opportunity for the reader to reflect and, and try to relate the vignette or the message to their own lives. And so that was really the impetus for writing the book was to channel some of the losses and experiences into something more positive to help support other people through their life challenges, whatever they may be. Wow. That's so powerful. And I mean, to know that this book came out of inspiration from your very difficult life experiences. And, you know, that is the helper nature is then you're like, how do I help other people? But I also am hearing through this, that it was a lot of your own healing. Um, and that is, yeah, yeah pretty powerful. I'm curious, like, were there common themes in your own healing that kept coming up or like certain, you know, mindset, like perspectives, things like that, that really helped to get you through these very, very difficult times. I mentioned about my dad and my sister being one year apart when, when they passed away and I was, and then went through my own cancer experience. And so I was really I had a good prognosis, but I didn't really believe in it, just given uh, the loss of my my dad and my sister. And so it was a really hard time for me. And I all I could envision was my my poor husband, you know, having to raise these uh, three babies on his own. And I was very scared. So a lot of fear, a lot of fear. And I didn't tell a lot of people because I didn't want the pity which of course, um, looking back, I wish I had handled things differently, but at the time it was, you know, I didn't want to be the woman who, oh my gosh, she has three babies under three and she's going through chemo and radiation and she lost her sister and her dad. And, you know, so I, I didn't share with a lot of people, which meant that a lot of people couldn't support me and I couldn't feel the love of so many people who really did care for me. And so that's why I mentioned that, you know, looking back, I could have done it differently. So I, I really did have to go through my own healing journey. And so for me, I ended up what I refer to in the book as uh, being at my rock bottom. And I remember where I was, I was in our first home in Wash Park and in, in Denver in our, um, in our bathroom. And I could feel my heart racing and I was sweating. I started to cry and I just got down on my knees and I started to pray. Now, I had never really given God much thought. My, my mom took us to church every Sunday, but we just went kind of going through the motions. And so I, I didn't have God in my life. And so for me to actually pray was very, very unusual. And what transpired transformed me. So I felt an incredible release. Um, my heart rate slowed. I, I felt enveloped and buoyed and lighter and stronger within, you know, 10, 15 minutes. It was just incredibly powerful. Now the book is not a religious book in any way. It's, it's more of a, a spiritual um, you know, think about your own divine or, or um, power that's greater than yourself. So it's, so I was praying to a Christian God because that's what I grew up with, but 
the intent of the of the book and sharing some of these stories is really to have more of um, an understanding of a, a higher power or spirituality as opposed to any particular religion. And so that day on the bathroom floor with, with my three babies and my husband in the home uh, really was pivotal for me. I I started to become a student of faith and I would attend church and do a lot of reading and and met with pastors. And I learned that a lot of people experienced what I experienced. And and so it started to redefine my life and, and what was important to me prior to my cancer diagnosis. It was more material. It was more... Um, career and stature and power and title. And what I realized uh, that those things don't matter. What, what matters most is being healthy and being here and being loving and being with family and friends and providing for other people and supporting other people. And so that was my healing journey. And the book is, as you mentioned, is fear less and love more five daily choices that we can make to have a more peaceful, fulfilled life. And so having faith, having uh, a belief in something beyond ourselves is a choice. And the five choices are, are interrelated. But the first one that I, that I share with you is faith. And as I said, it could be if we can't get to a higher power, uh, it could be just community, someone beyond ourselves, because when when everything is about ourselves, we become more ego oriented and we have to protect ourselves and we fear more and we operate from more of a fear based position. But when we let go and let go of control, that was a big thing for me is letting go of control, knowing that I had cancer and you know I couldn't fix it for the first time in my life. Right, I had been an independent woman and, and educated and felt very privileged and I couldn't fix this. And so I gave control up to a higher power and, and let go of the greatest fear. I think all of us have, which is dying. Um, but if you have a belief that there's something beyond this physical reality, then you, you know, you can kind of let that go and know that there's something beyond that's loving and gracious and joyful. And so that's how I handled my more recent passing of my mother and my brother, because I have a faith um, that extends beyond the here and now. And so I do believe that uh, when I pass, I will be with all of my family members who have passed before me. And that gives me great comfort. And, and so I speak to what I learned along the way, they are choices, right? They are definitely choices and, and to believe and to choose faith gives me more, more comfort. The other choices I'll mention briefly are to love. And I mentioned that choosing to love every day and to operate from a place of, of compassion and grace to me has been so fulfilling and it, it brings so much joy and peace and centeredness back to me because things, material things can't love us back, right? So, you know, the house, the boat, the diamonds, the clothes, those things can't love us. And sure, I was very much into all of that prior to my experiences with loss and my own fight with, with cancer, but I've come on my journey. And I think of life as a journey from early on to, to enlightenment. And Marianne Williamson has a great quote in her book, Return to Love. She, and I'm not going to get it exactly right, but it's something along the lines of love is what we're born with. Fear is what we learn here mm. and our purpose is to return back to love, right? And I think that's pretty profound. And so choosing love is a choice that we we can do every day and having a greater faith than just who we are in this physical reality. The third is to, to choose prayer and prayer does not necessarily mean getting down on your knees and folding your hands and, and praying to a certain God. It could be a rhythmic exercise or yoga or meditation or mindfulness. It's just something that allows us some quiet time to center ourselves and be 
more peaceful to hear what the the universe or the divine or whatever your spiritual power might be hear the messages right um there's a wonderful author dr lisa miller you might be familiar with her today uh, she's out of the Columbia University Institute of Spirituality, which I didn't know there, there was such a thing, but it's been in existence for over 25 years. And she's done a lot of empirical research, so scientifically based research about spirituality and how we all have the capacity for spirituality. It's And, and we locate that spirituality in our brains. So our neurochemicals are being fired um, in a certain way when when thinking about a higher power or higher being, whereas brains that are more, and they, they learn this through functional MRIs, but brains that are have more, are people who are more challenged with anxiety or depression or have difficulty getting to a spiritual place um, have less connectivity between their limbic system and their frontal lobe and don't experience the same firing that happens when we experience joy and courage so she does a lot of wonderful research on the power of that spirituality and again however you get there whether it's through traditional prayer um, or through swimming or running or whatever it might be, it allows us to, to sit, stay grounded or, or get grounded, maybe not stay, but bring us to a place of being more grounded and more centered. The fourth choice is divine intervention, which is believing, as Lisa Miller would say, that the, the, the universe is, is speaking to us or working with us, as opposed to this idea of things are happening to us or, you know, or against us. It's the idea that things happen for a reason, and it might be hard to, to understand that reason at first. And for sure, that was the case with me, with all the losses that I experienced, my own cancer diagnosis. And today, I look at life and, and see how things are not coincidence, that people are placed in my life, or the experiences I have are there to kind of build my character and build on um, helping other people and giving back and having more purpose. And so for those experiences and for those people in my life, I'm very grateful. And it again is a choice to, to look at the universe in that way that I'm working with it as opposed to it happening to me. And then lastly is the choice of vulnerability, which is having the courage to share our stories. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, I was very fearful when I was diagnosed with my cancer and I was not sharing my story with anyone. I was not being vulnerable and no way did I think I would ultimately write a book and then have the, the, you know, many, uh, a very large population read the personal stories, but I feel like when we do when we do share our stories, it really helps other people because that vulnerability builds trust. It's an openness that other people, as social beings, we are connected. We want to connect with other people. And when we do, you know, our feel-good chemicals fire the dopamine, serotonin, the oxytocin, and vice versa. We get that from the people we're connected to. So there's a there's a biological, emotional, and psychological reason for that sharing and that connectedness and that willingness to be vulnerable. So that's, that's a long, long winded answer to share, you know, kind of how I move through my journey from being very fearful to now loving more and, and fearing less. And it's, it's, you know, of course it takes effort. It's yeah. not something that you have to be mindful of and intentional. What I love about the way that you framed this and the conversation that I just heard you have is that there are choices. And I think that um, each day when we wake up, we are presented with so many choices. And a lot of people may look at someone and say, well, it just comes easier for them, or that's just the type of person they are. And I think that we really forget that, no, these are choices, you know, and, you know, in the crazy season of not newly, newly married, but being a young mom that is in my first 10 years of marriage, you know, that's such a challenging time. And I've had so many 
conversations where we mention, you know, you wake up and you choose your attitude. You choose to love your husband. You may not always like them, you know, like you choose those things. So I think it's really powerful to have those reminders that you cling to every morning of this is who I am. And this is what I'm choosing today. Yeah. And I, first off, thank you so much for your vulnerability to share today. And I I think just hearing the story of being at rock bottom on your bathroom floor is just powerful. And then to see the evolution, but you expressed a lot of pain and a lot of, I mean, I even heard you kind of describe, like, there was a lot where you wondered why you were going through this, you know, and like, it's hard, right? It's not that it was easy to go through this and Mm -hmm. it's that evolution. And again, that willingness to make that choice of what am I going to do? How am I going to respond to this? And so I think so often we, we focus on like the bad things and like wanting to move past them like quickly, but I really hear you embracing them um, and being willing just to come to a full acceptance of you. Luckily you beat cancer. You're here with us. We're so grateful for that. But like in those exact moments, there was nothing you could really do to take control of cancer. And that level of acceptance isn't like, I'm fine. Everything's going to be fine. It's just like, I have cancer and I'm going to take this one step at a time. And you opted to lean into your faith. And, um, I just love the tenants. And I think even your emphasis on, it doesn't necessarily mean like a religious background either, you know, this can be shaped in so many different ways, but that spiritual connection and that, that silence becomes really a moving factor and a driving force. Yeah. You know, there's something to be said about silence, right? I mean, we have very little of it, very little of it. I have one of my leaders here who's uh, planning on retiring. And he said to me, I'm just looking forward to actively listening because we don't do enough of that, right? In that quiet space. And I mentioned uh, choosing prayer each day. And for me, I, I say little prayers throughout the day. Like, I hope I have a positive impact with Jordan and with Taylor today, you know? And so little, little prayers like that, or if I'm about to coach somebody, I'll say a little prayer that I pray I have a positive impact on that person's life today. So each day it is a choice to your point, Jordan, you wake up and, and that's part of my daily prayer is I hope I have a positive impact on somebody's life. And when I run and I I run five or six miles, I'm not a big, huge runner, but I have a certain spot on my run toward the end where I turn off my music. And for the next 10 minutes, I'm just in silence and I will pray to myself. Sometimes I pray out loud and sometimes I'm just in silence and just wanting to hear what I'm supposed to hear from the universe, right? Again, that spirituality, uh, as opposed to a specific uh, religion or God. And it's amazing to me. Sometimes I'll go out on a run and I'll be stuck on something. And I will just say, help me, help me please see this from a different perspective, just help me understand this from a different vantage point or a different lens. I'll go out on my run and I tell you what happens all the time. I'll come back and I have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is so powerful. And the thing is, like, like I said, I, I, I wasn't a huge believer before. And the more I have these experiences, you know, how can I doubt it? And again, it's a choice. Yeah. It's a choice for everybody. But for me, it's so powerfully positive. That is positive reinforcement. I keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Right. We and live so- in such a noisy, like Taylor and I talk about this a lot. Like there's so much noise and I don't think we prioritize often enough getting into that space, that silent space, because we are too focused on, well, I need to deliver and I need to be productive and I need to do X, Y, and Z. But I'm personally remembering these days that sometimes the most productive thing that you can do is just be still. And it's funny you say that, Jordan, because I was doing some research probably last month and 
this idea really resonated with me that in Western society, we are all about doing and achieving and results orientation. Mm-hmm. And we are less about being, mm-hmm. just being, right? And I have three teenage boys now. So the twins are now 15 and my eldest son is, is 18. And then we have four from, uh, I consider Brad and Adam, my sister's boys to be, to be ours as well since Deb passed away. And I have two stepdaughters who I consider are my daughters. So big blended family of seven and grandchildren now. But um, I really am emphasizing with my teenage boys that school is important for sure, but being is most important. So every day choose to do something kind for somebody, right? So yes, go to school and try to do well. And I want you to be the best human you can be. And, and sometimes I think we lose sight of that. We are more focused on goals and objectives and results and titles and compensation and awards and think about what is top priority. I, I say this to my leaders a lot. What are, what are your top values? Right. And often you hear family, friends, and health. And then my next question is, are you living your life in alignment with those values? And oftentimes I hear, well, I'm working, you know, 60 hours. I'm, you know, I'm working when I could be at a soccer game because I need to meet this deadline or whatever it might be. And it then becomes quite clear that, oh, maybe I'm not truly behaving in a way that's in alignment with my values. Yeah. I love that. And so often we sometimes don't even have clarity on our values either. You don't take the time. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And as you're talking, it reminds me, it's something I say a lot, which I actually got from a mentor of mine and kind of over time I've made it my own, but like joy lives in the present moment right here in front of us. And we're so often, especially in our Western culture, onto that next thing, onto that next accolade. And I can say, like, I will totally own that. That was me. And it's been this evolution of how do I learn to be more present and just be. And these hard things that I'm working for, like, okay, it's still okay to drive forward and want to achieve things. But when you arrive, how do you be in that moment? And that is where your joy exists. And we get so caught up in thinking that our joy lives in the future, lives in these accomplishments. And yeah, yeah, and it is unique to our Western culture. You know, other cultures are much more focused on this idea of being and being present and being mindful and fully experiencing. Yep. And, and that's exactly right. And I think, I think truly take, you know, before you meet with somebody, taking a couple deep breaths, being focused on, okay, I am going to be completely present with this person, completely mindful and putting my phones away. I'm totally going to see this person. Right. And, and people want to be seen. They want to be heard. And, and we can so easily get distracted uh, and certainly Jordan, as you know, with, with young kids, it's, you can get distracted all the time and really they are your top priority, your family. And so you want to be present with them and it is hard. It, it, it you have to make the choices. Yeah. I'd say, especially as, you know, a career mother that where every mom's a working mom, but when you, when you have a career outside of the home, it's like, you're really slapped with the reality of how intentional you have to be and, and present with that time that you do have with them at home for sure. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so important to work for an organization that is understanding of that very people oriented, people centric. I, I mentioned it to you before we started the call that my, my nephew just had his first son uh, 12 days ago. And I was supposed to be at a big meeting that I was facilitating, but they had asked me to be in the delivery room with them and the baby was coming early. Uh, so unanticipated. And I had this big offsite that I was supposed to be facilitating. And so I called my boss five o'clock on a Friday and I said, you know what, I might not be there on Monday and here's why. And his response to me was, that's exactly where you should be. I want you to be there just have a backup plan. And wow. if we don't see you on Monday, we know why. 
Um, and you know, I'm hoping that everything goes great. And to work for a company where the president of the organization has an attitude like that. And I knew I wasn't fearful. I knew when I called him on Friday afternoon, that would be a similar response that he would give. And so I, I do think there are organizations out there that are very people centric because they have lives too, the, the executives, and they know what it means to have time to spend with family. And it's, it's so critical. There's a vignette in the book about a palliative nurse who interviewed a number of people who were on their deathbed and not one of them said that they wished they had worked more, right? Mm -hmm. It was, I wish that I had said, I love you more. I wish I spent more time with family and friends. I wish I didn't care what people thought of me, right? So there's some really good lessons to be learned in the slowing it down. Uh, and I'll just give you a, a quick example of divine inter intervention and ball aerospace. So I had um, been working for a consulting firm for a number of years and absolutely loved the work that I was doing and loved the firm. They were very people-centric as um, a group of psychologists, you might think that they would be, and they were. And being a consultant, I was on the road a lot. And mm -hmm. so I didn't have any local clients. And so I was traveling to different states and I was in hotel rooms many nights. And I kn knew how, or I know how fragile life can be with all the loss in my family and my own cancer experience. And at the time the boys were younger than teenagers. And so I said to my husband, you know, I really need to look for another job. I don't want to work all the time and, and be gone from you and the family. And so I'd been praying on it, running and praying. And one day I was flying back from DC to Denver and I had just finished an executive assessment. So a three hour interview with an executive to see if they were a good fit with my client organization. So I checked in and I was on United and I was in the last row in the middle seat and I'm close to six feet tall. So I knew that that would not be a comfortable arrangement for four hours to write a report that generally took about seven hours. And so the flight was about a four hour um, uh, time frame. So I figured, okay, I can get a good chunk done if I can really focus. So the first time uh, in my tenure at this consulting firm, I upgraded to first class. In long story short, I ended up set, I was sitting next to the president of Ball Aerospace. Wow. And so through our conversation, he said, what would it take for you to come work for us? And so to me, that was not a coincidence. It was, um, it was something larger than that. And that was close to five years ago. And I have tremendous balance in my life. And the boys don't even remember that I used to travel. So um, that's a warm feeling for me. Uh, and I'm at different sporting events and making dinners. And so it's been wonderful. And I love my company and my team and the work that I do for the organization. So again, I, I will never say that was a coincidence. Now, yeah. some people can choose to, they can say, yeah, sure. That was just a coincidence. And it's kind of more exciting and life is more, you know, interesting and dynamic when you think about, okay, maybe that wasn't a coincidence. Maybe yeah. there's something more divine at play. I mean, um, even as you shared that, like I, at two different times during you talking there, I got chills and my eyes filled with tears too. And just like this overwhelming, like emotion. And it's just incredible to think about because I think so often as women, you know, sometimes our society doesn't support us in having this balance and finding a way that allows you to prioritize your family and allows you to be a career driven woman and go after your own desires. And just to hear, I think it's such a good reminder. I think both for Jordan and I, and as well as for our listeners that there are organizations out there like that. And certainly are, and you just yeah. be willing to open your mind to them, you know, or, and cause some of it is if you had sat there and been like, I, I absolutely, I have to get this report done. Like this is all that matters right now. You would have missed that opportunity as well. Yeah. You know, what's funny Tay is that I shared this, this talk with um, a number of different groups and, and almost every single 
uh, comment um, that I've had is around that exact thing. But, you know, be open to the person in front of you, right? It, it goes back to being mindful and being present and just opening yourself up to seeing somebody else, right? And listening to somebody else and, and being seen yourself, right? Because you could just hunker down and put the, the blinders on and, and be results oriented and then you miss what's right in front of you. So I really appreciate that. And I, I, I hadn't thought about that. And it's interesting to me that it's something that resonates for, for many, many people. Yeah. There's a quote I heard last week that said opportunity knocks at your front door while you're in the backyard looking for four leaf clovers. Ah, and I just that's, thought, that's so true. Like you're out there trying to, you know, how can I make this better? What do I need to do? And it's like, you have to flip that vision on that opportunity seeing, you know, vision on. So I love that so much. I know. And it's so cool too, because I think it could be easy to listen to this episode right now and be like, oh, that's great for her. You know, she's been able to create this really balanced life. But what's really cool is all three of us sitting here right now are working to create that. I mean, for you, Catherine, you have really created, I think Jordan and I are in the earlier phases of trying to find all of this. Um, Like Jordan on Mondays, you know, has negotiated to be able to be present with her kids and then work Tuesday through Friday. I'm getting ready to leave my full-time job at the end of the summer. Like, and I, I think it's just being willing to let go of that fear, love life, find joy, be present that these opportunities are out there. We are not some magical exception. Exactly. I, I really love that Tay. And I especially appreciate what I'm hearing is you're being courageous, both of you. Right. And we all have the ability to be courageous and fear less and decide to love more, whatever that is, those opportunities being kind and gracious. And there are companies and there are opportunities out there that will allow for that. You just have to have the courage to to find it. Right. And then I also think about your your neuropsychology background. And as I mentioned earlier with the Columbia University research our brains change, literally change physiologically when we are in a space of joy and courage, Mm -hmm. right? And our brains look healthier, they're plumper. There's more uh, neuro um, pathways between our limbic system and our frontal lobe. It looks very different. Our brains look very different where we're operating from a place of fear and scarcity and uh, anxiety. And so we need to do this for our, our physiology as well as our emotional and, and psychological state is to find that, I would say it's joy. It's greater than happiness. It's just yeah. this profound centeredness. And um, as Brene Brown uses the term, the wholehearted, living wholeheartedly, which means that we are not thinking about what other people think of us. We're attending to who we are and we are being, and we're okay with that. And we're okay sharing our vulnerabilities and what we're good at and what we might not be so good at, right? And can live in this space of being good enough, right? Her, her research is about showing up as who we are and knowing that we're good enough. And it doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter if people think we're crazy for giving up a full-time job to go find joy and be courageous. It's what matters to ourselves. This was incredible. So much perspective for our audience. And I know that they are going to take so much away from this. So I want to make sure that our audience knows where they can connect with you, find you, get your book. Sure. Well, thank you. This has been such a joy to talk to both uh, you and Tay. So thank you for inviting me to be your first guest. And yeah, I think the best way to reach me would be uh, via my website, which is katherinehaber.com, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-H-A-B-E-R.com. And I try to respond to each note that is left uh, personally. So um, it might take me a little bit of time, but Certainly you can, uh, if you want a book for yourself or, you know, I always encouraged giving um, a gift to a friend maybe who might be having a hard time and hopefully there will be some 
some pieces of or vignettes that resonate for for folks who might be going through their challenges. And um, I'm happy to do any complimentary talks. Um, my my whole purpose has never been about selling books. It's really been about supporting people and, and helping people through their difficult challenges, whatever they may be. And so I, I love doing podcasts or virtual presentations or now in-person presentations, whatever I can do to help uh, people through this hard, you know, hard but exciting life journey, right? If we look at it as, as again, the challengers are meant to help us through and build our characters and be our best selves towards, you know, a more enlightened way of being, then it's a little bit less scary and a little bit more exciting to think about the road ahead. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We are almost done with this episode, but we want to leave you with tangible steps to apply this. We are all about taking messy action, and we would encourage you to embrace that with us. Here's this week's takeaway. For today's messy action, wow. I mean, if you just listened to that, there was so many powerful things and We hope it resonated with you the way that it did with us. But one of the things that I think can be so monumental and really help to shape where you're trying to go is actually identifying your values. So she talked about this and finding that alignment. But the first step of alignment is actually understanding, you know, what your values and your top priorities are. And then she talked about, you know, working in the corporate world, how she is coaching a lot of these leaders then to do a self-reflection of, Is that actually how you're spending your time? So for today's messy action, we're going to encourage you sit down, take some time in your lead her everyday journal and write down your values and then do a self-evaluation. Are you living in alignment with those? And a good way to evaluate this would be, what are you spending your time, energy, and emotional energy on during the week? So between now and next time that we meet together next Wednesday, look at that list. Okay. You've got three to five values on here. Now look at where your mental, your physical energy goes, how you spend your time. Is it aligned? And if not figure out what steps you need to take to make those more aligned and in sync. Love it. We cannot wait to hear, you know, what you discover. Feel free. This tends to be more of a personal journey. So we still love when you tag us on social media, But feel free to also shoot us a DM, talk to us about, you know, what values you're identifying, how that maps onto your life. We would love to have personal conversations with you. I know Jordan and I both value that so, so much. So you can get your copy of Fear Less, Love More, What to Do When the Unexpected Happens, Five Daily Choices on Amazon or on Dr. Haber's website, which is linked in the show notes. And we just want to say thank you to her. It was so special, such a powerful conversation. I know I keep saying that, but it really hit home for me personally. And when Jordan and I were doing reflections, we talked about how we took value out of this. So we definitely will be bringing more guests on in the future. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see y'all next week. We really hope you enjoyed today's episode. We love when you share your imperfect but impactful progress with us on social media. We've linked our Instagram, leadher.everyday in the show notes so you can tag us. Make sure you don't miss the next episode. Hit subscribe to stay up to date. See you next time.